Good evening, I'm Chad Eskew. Great to be here to talk with you guys. We are talking about emotions. We're doing a series on emotions. Last week we talked about the emotions of God. And I kind of wanted to re- I wanted to cover a couple of things, just briefly cover a couple of the things that we talked about last week. Just to recap so that you're familiar when I start talking about certain things as we talk about tonight's topic. Um, you're familiar with the terms, and if you missed last week, you get the terms. What are emotions? Can it, does anybody remember? I'll do like, I'll do like, uh, like legit little like Sunday school class. Does anybody remember? Can anybody say, tell me what, what are, in essence, what are your emotions? What, are they, what do they do? What, what are they? Anybody got anything? Are we all shy college students? They're a response to stimulus. That's really simple. Yeah. I mean, we got some psychology majors in here. It's probably um, something happens outside of you. You look at this event or this thing happening or a person in front of you and you evaluate that thing in your brain. You make some evaluation and then there is a visceral, physical, spiritual, psychological response within you. To how you evaluate that thing in front of you. That's what an emotion is. There's eight different primary emotions. I, I, if you adopt the emotional theory that I have found the most compelling, mostly because it comes up with a pretty rainbow diagram. Uh, and so you get these eight different emotions. They're eight different colors. It's, it's really neat. Anyway, um, eight different emotions. Happiness, grief, uh, Anger, fear, surprise, anticipation, uh, and a couple others. We're going to talk about four of them. (laughs) We're going to talk about happiness, grief, anger, and fear. These kind of four major ones that are the big troublemakers in our lives. Now, you you may be thinking, he just said happiness is a troublemaker in my life? Well, Well, it can be, and we're going to talk about that tonight. So, that's what emotions are. There are these things, they're... uh, a response to stimulus outside of us. There are different ones. They're never isolated. You never feel just happy. You never feel just sad. You never feel just angry. You never feel just afraid. They're mixed like paint mixer when you dump paint into them. So they're all stirred around. And every emotional response is kind of this unique thing as you evaluate the reality around you. Third thing about emotions that I need to remind you of is every emotional reality that we have is a finite version of an infinite reality in God. Every emotional reality that we experience, everything, every part of us, not just our emotions, but every part of us is a fi- has a finite correspondent in God. There is something that corresponds between these things in us and in God. He has a real emotional life. He, we, don't think of God as, we don't think of God as having an emotional life, right? We think of him maybe having an intellectual life. He thinks a lot. But we don't think of him as feeling. And because we don't, we, we have a hard time connecting with him. Because what are the purpose of emotions? Three purposes. Does anybody remember any of them? It's okay if you don't. I won't, you're not getting graded. Three purposes. Emotions communicate to us. Your emotions communicate to you about the deepest, real loves of your heart. 
You might be able to say, I really love this or I really love that. I might be able to say, I really love my wife. But unless she detects that I really feel that, or unless my real love for her, my real is, is, is motivated to serve her, to take care of her, to love, to, to do the caring things for her, I am demonstrating that I do not love her. If I say I love her, but, my, but I, all I ever feel when I'm around her is anger, what does that reveal? It communicates to me that maybe I'm, I've got to fix something with, my, with the love of my heart. There's something broken here. So they communicate to us about what we love most deeply. Second, emotions connect us to God and one another. We feel connected to one another when we know that someone is feeling what we are feeling. You don't feel connected. You might feel connected to somebody at a certain level if you know they're thinking what you're thinking. We think on the same wavelength. That's kind of, you know, you've, you've met people like that and you become, you might become good friends. You say, hey man, I just love being around this guy because we think alike. But it's not until you are dealing with some emotional reality, the death of a loved one in great grief, for instance, and you're sitting across from somebody who you just look in their eyes and you know they've felt that same grief. And you feel that deep moment of connection. And that's what God designed our emotions to do, was to connect us to one another and to connect us to Him. So that's what motions are for. The third thing they do is they motivate and ideally motivate right action. Now, we're sinners, fallen people, so generally our emotions mislead us and motivate us to do really dumb things. Now, that's out of the way. That's my recap from last week. Tonight, I want to talk about God and happiness. What do you think? What comes into your mind when you think about God? What emotional... Picture a face. Let's not be, you know breaking the second commandment or anything, but when you think about God, what kind of face does he have toward you? When you think about God and what, how he looks at you, what emotion is on his face? What's your normal default? Anybody got an actual answer? What's sort of your default when you, when you think about how God is his, bent towards you? Peace? Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Love. Peaceful. Love? Love? You have lots of people grown up in church. Pres- good Presbyterian theology right here. What is it really? A smile? Frustration. Frustration. Frustration? That's more what I've... What I, those, those, are, those are all great answers. And if you always have the disposition, if you always have the sense that God is smiling on you, wonderful. 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 You're believing the gospel. You're believing that you're in the Son, that you're in Christ, and that He smiles on Christ, so He smiles on me. But that is not my default. My default is God is disappointed with me. God has got this impossible standard that I can never measure up to, and He is always scowling or growling. That's what I default to. And so that's what I think God defaults to. But tonight, I want to talk, and 
A.W. Tozer said this. He's a theologian, pastor. He said this. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the single most important thing about us. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And if you, if, if you have been, if you've trained yourself through a life uh, of thinking that God is a scowling, angry God, and that's all he ever feels towards people, all he ever feels toward you, then that's going to corrupt the way that you deal with everything in your life. And so tonight, I want to challenge us. I want to look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. And then we're going to look at the end of 1 Timothy. And there's, this is two times in this letter, bookending it. Paul says this strange little phrase. 1 Timothy verse, chapter 1, verse 8. The phrase is lower down, but I want to read the whole sentence so we get the context. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. The gospel of the glory of the blessed God. Here's the thing. What comes into your mind? Here's another comes into your mind question. What does the word blessed mean? Somebody tell me, somebody give me a good definition for the word blessed. It's the most vague spiritual word you ever hear. Oh, how are you feeling? I'm feeling blessed. What does that even mean? What, what do you guys think? Happy. happy? Well, you've got the, you bang on. You might have heard this before. Let's see. So happy. It, in its essence, it does mean happy. Why do we translate it blessed then? Happy in a spiritually content way. Yeah, okay. So yeah. So you want, that's exactly why we translate it happy. That's exactly why we translate it blessed. But I would contend with you that that's not what the word means. I would contend that this word in the Greek, it's called, it's makarios. It just means happy. It means happy. It means experiencing the emotional reality of happiness. It doesn't... We want, we are so pressed to go, we want to make this so spiritual. We want to make this, uh, we want to make happiness about, we want to, we want to divorce. When we translate it like this and we, and we, what we really mean by blessed is you're holy. We really just want to say the holy God, right? We want to say, uh, when Jesus does the the Beatitudes, uh, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. He's using this same word. Blessed. So you're like, blessed. Okay, I can understand how God can bless the pure in heart. He can open up heaven and and give them joy. But we miss the whole point of what Jesus is doing in the Beatitudes when we translate it blessed because we make this some sort of super holy happiness. 
instead of putting it right down in our real world where it's the real emotion that we feel, that we all are craving, that we're all pursuing. So there's my point. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, right? Blessed are those who mourn. You missed the whole point. He's saying, happy are those who mourn. You're supposed to go, that doesn't make any sense, Jesus. What are you talking about? Happy are those who mourn. How can you be mourning and happy? For they will be comforted. Happy are those who mourn. You can find happiness even when you're sorrowful. That's the point. You can find this thing that you're looking for when you look to God's comfort. See, we're all looking for happiness. When, if I were to say to you, you need to pursue joy and not happiness. Or you need to pursue holiness and not happiness. What am I doing? I'm saying those are different, right? I'm saying, you, I'm saying holiness and happiness are two different things. Is that true? Not if God is the happy God. Not if, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the happy God with which I have been entrusted. If God is a happy God, if his basic disposition is happiness, then it is not different than holiness. The pursuit of holiness is the pursuit of happiness. Because Jesus said this about his father, right? He said, at the father's hand are joys. Abundant joys forevermore. You want to know where, where to find happiness? You find it in the happy God. Now, talking about a about happy, 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 happy God. What is happiness? What does it even mean? The word, it's, the, it's an emotional reality. It's an emotional response. It's an emotional word. And it's, it's the emotional response to satisfaction. We all have needs. You're needy creatures. We're needy creatures. When you feel happy, that is part of what's going on in your body and your makeup is this, you know, uh, dopamine's being released and your body is telling you, yes, more of this. Whatever it is you're getting right now, you're having uh, Panda Express and you go, I'm num, 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 num. And you go, your body goes, happy, 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 more of this. Give me more of this. And so there's these chemicals that get released in your brain. And you're drawn to get more of it because it's satisfying some deep need. We have these needs. We're needy creatures, right? You're created with needs. We all have needs. What, what are some of the things that you need just to, to live? What is it? There's, there's a whole bunch of them. What are things that we need? Food and water. Food and water? Yep, food and water. Now I can go without those for a little bit. You know, I make maybe three days without water before I just die. I can make it maybe, you know, 30, 40 days without food before I die. Maybe a little longer, you know, stored up some extra. Um, what about air? I need air. <laughs> I can make it three minutes without air before my brain shuts down. Do you realize what a fragile, needy thing you are? If your air, you're the breath in our lungs, we sing. If your, your air is shut off for three, three minutes, you're done. You're over. That's it. We're fragile, needy things. We have these needs. But what do you get when you breathe in and you, you have that deep, satisfying breath of air? Your body says, yes, keep doing this. This will keep us alive. When you have that food, it says, yes, keep doing this. What are some other things? What if we, if we have those things, those needs met, we have 
our physiological needs met, what else could we need? Friendships, community, belonging. We need, we were made, not, it's not good that man is alone. The first thing declared not good is being alone. That we would be isolated. We're made for community, to belong to, with other people, to be connected deeply to other people and to God. So we're made for community. We're made for belonging. We need those things. It's not just, those aren't icing on the cake. This gathering, this community, you guys getting together with each other, it's not icing on the cake. This is cake. More to the point is bread. It's what's actually going to satisfy you, not just be a treat, you know. Let them eat cake. Um, Jesus didn't say, I'm the donut of life, okay? Bread of life. Um, So we have these needs, but they're also threatened, right? Is your food guaranteed? Is your water guaranteed? In our country, probably you could say, yeah, you're going to be all right. But for most of human history and for most people on the planet, no. It's not guaranteed. We, so we need security. We need something to protect it. We need, we need to know that these things are going to continue. And when we have that, when we have our physiological needs met, and then we move on up and we go, okay, all right. And I know these are going to be safe and protected. We get a little more dopamine release and we say, yes, okay, I'm happy, I'm happy. Then we, we know we have belonging and community. That makes us a little happier. We also need esteem and honor. You were made for honor. First Peter chapter 1 says this. There's a treasure kept for you under guard. And you know who's guarding it? Jesus Christ himself. He's standing guard. He doesn't even, this treasure is so precious that he doesn't entrust it to angels. He doesn't hand it over to the, you know, the, the cherubim, the cherubim who stand guard at the, at the gate of Eden with a flaming sword. He says, nope, too important. I'm guarding this myself. And you know what's in it, Peter says? The praise, glory, and honor of Jesus Christ. Now, for a long time, I used to think that what that meant was that I get to give praise, glory, and honor to Jesus. Oh, what a prize. That is a prize. It's amazing, but that's not what he means. What Peter means is, what is kept for you is that good and faithful servant. When you come before the Lord for him to say to you, great job, good work, you held strong to the end. That's praise. He's going to praise you. Jesus Christ who died for you is going to praise you. He's going to honor you. That means, that means he'll hold you up and show you off. Hold you up and say, did you see when everything was falling apart in this guy's life? When this girl's life. But they, oh, she held on to me. She held firm. Look at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sin wavered. We all do that. But she held on. And he's going to hold you up in a place of honor. And he's going to give you his own glory. He's going to clothe you with himself. These are the things laid up for you. We were made for this thing. That's just my defense for you were made to be honored. You were made to to be satisfied with a deeper glory and a deeper honor than you can get from people. And we also need an identity. We need somebody outside of us to tell us who we are. 
And if you have all these things, if you have all these needs met, I mean, just think about it. If you had all of those, just put it in your mind, evaluate, picture a life where all those needs are met. And what emotion wants to creep up in you when you think about it? What starts, it makes you feel pretty good, right? I'm going to, oh, to have a life where I was honored and esteemed and glory. And I was an integral part of a community and all my physical needs were met and they were all very secure where they know, you know, nothing could touch them. And I had an identity, somebody who really knows me deep down to the bottom of me, telling me who I am. The, the proper emotional response to that is happiness. That's what happiness is. And why can God be called the happy God? Does God have needs or is he satisfaction itself? There is no want in him. He is not the needy one. Happiness flees when our needs are not met. And if you have no needs, but you are the meter of needs, you are the one who is pouring forth the satisfaction of needs, then you can have nothing but happiness at the core of you. You have no lack. You cannot lack. And God cannot lack, so He is the happy God. His basic disposition is happiness. Now, there are things that grieve Him, and this is where it gets complex, so hang with me. As we move forward into grief, when we talk about that in a couple of weeks, because I will then talk about, I will try to reconcile those two ideas. How can he be grieving and happy at the same time? Remember we said, paint can. No emotion is in isolation in us, how much less in God. There are things that grieve him, things that genuinely grieve him. But at the essence of him, at the core, he is the happy God. Now, what all does that mean for us? Why does that matter? Why does it matter that we need to have an image of God as happy and not just a miserable grump? You become what you worship. I will say this every week. I will repeat it. I will repeat it. I will repeat it. You will become what you worship. If, you, if God is an angry, twisted, capricious being to you, you will become an angry, twisted being. If God is always sad and always weeping and always and he's just full of grief all the time and he has no capacity for joy, then you will be miserable. But at his core, he is the happy God. He does not create. He doesn't even create from a, a sense of need. Gods in other religions create because they have some need. I love the, in the ancient religions, in the ancient world, uh, it's always, it's like literally food. In some of the ancient uh, religions, they'll, the gods will get together and they'll kill you know, one other God, and then they'll take their bones and their blood and they'll build people out of them. And they'll go, you know, why, did, why, are we, why do we need people? Well, we need some slaves. We need some people to make food for us. We have these needs and we need them to meet our needs. God did not create you to meet his needs. 
He did not create you to satisfy him. He created you so that he might share his overflowing, abundant, deep, eternal satisfaction with you. Proverbs uh, chapters, chapter 8 pictures God creating the universe. And you've got, you've, got, you've got the Father and you've got this wisdom. It says wisdom is beside him while he's creating the universe. And it says wisdom is laughing and playing like a child with their father while God is creating the universe. Laughing and playing. Do you picture that the, at, the, at the heart of the beginning of reality, there is laughter and play. God brings creation into being out of an overflow of love between the Father, Son, and Spirit and a desire to share their life with other persons, with other beings. And that's why he made us, why he made us like him, and made us able to connect to him deeply so that he could share that happiness with us. So, to wrap up and to get towards the end of what I'm talking about here, the big thing I want you to walk away with is this. A couple of things. There has been a disruption in God's happiness, right? Sin into the world. But for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. He said, I'm going to make happiness the reality across the universe again. And he sacrifices himself. Yes, Jesus is weighed down with griefs. Isaiah 53 says. But whose griefs are they? They're not God's. They don't belong to him. He's bearing your sorrows. He's bearing our sorrows, our grief. So that he can restore to us the joy of being, of partaking in the divine life. Because that's what you were made for. You were made for nothing less than to partake of the divine life. This overflow of life that pours forth from the Father to the Son and is so potent, so powerful, this life that flows between the Father and the Son, that it is Him, that He is Himself a third person and constitutes the third person of the Trinity. That God is this eternal relationship and He's saying, come on in. Come in. Join me here. So next week, what we're going to talk about is this. Next week, we're going to talk about the pursuit of happiness. So what I'm establishing this week with talking about how God is the happy God, how all happiness really resides in him, is really setting, up, setting us up for next week to think about how do I go about actually pursuing this happiness that can be found only in God. This deep satisfaction of all my needs. Because here's the thing. Does God guarantee that you're going to get all those needs met? That you're always going to have food, water, air? Someday you're not even going to have air. You're going to stop breathing. 
Does he guarantee that you're going to that if you do have those things, they're going to be secure forever? In this life? Does he guarantee that your friends aren't going to die or abandon you or stab you in the back? Does he guarantee that you're always going to have this deep sense of knowing who you are? That you're always going to be held up in honor and esteem? No, he does not guarantee those things in this life. But happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Happy are those, you can be happy now, because you know that God will. You are, you are going toward a world where all those things are absolutely guaranteed. Absolutely. God has made you for a world where we use gold for gravel. I'm a health and wealth gospel preacher right now. Problem with the health health and wealth gospel is their timetable. Death comes before new life. God wants to give you a body that's so healthy it can never die. He wants to put you in a world where gold, we use it for gravel. Of course he wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. But that's when the battle's over. This world... What we're in right now, he wants you to be happy in spite of your circumstances a lot of the time. Because you're finding the deepest satisfaction in him and in Jesus Christ. Because you know that he set his, that he set his sights on you, he finds his joy in you, and therefore you can find your happiness in him. All right, let me pray for us. Father, I thank you uh, that you are the happy God. That this world and everything in it was made not out of some deep sense of need in you. You didn't create us because you were lonely. You created us because your joy and life and love was so abundant that, that it just had, that new life had to spring up. That you needed to create other beings that must come and join in the deep happiness that has existed before the worlds were made. Help us to fix our sights on that, to understand what you've made us for. And to look to find our happiness in you through the good news of the only happy God. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. I pray through our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you, together with the Holy Spirit, one God, forever praised. Amen.